We'll be reading in Revelation chapter 5 this morning, if you'd like to turn there. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. enjoyed what we've done already so far, uh, and not just the feeling of it, but the worship of the one true living God, then we're going to continue that when we open up his word. It's on account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we stand and we sing and we hear from God's word. See, we get to sing with such joy, not because we've got things figured out and we're good people, it's because we sing, we sing with great joy of the resurrection because we're such sinners, and it's through Jesus that we overcome. Let's pray together as we open up his word. Father, would you just glorify your son this morning, and the words of this text, and as we Think through Revelation 5 together. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I wonder if you are like me and have been captivated somewhat by the mysteries of the Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory. 
a wondrous place. Here we are, we have this factory in this town, and no one sees anyone go in and out of the factory. All they see is trucks taking out that delicious chocolate candy that they produce. So the trucks go out, and they're full, but no one goes in or out to work in the factory. And so surrounding the factory in the town, there's a lot of mystery. Mysterious place and mysterious happenings going on here, including this character who's making all this chocolate, Willy Wonka. No one ever sees him. He's kind of locked up in this factory, they think, and who knows what he's doing in there, other than thinking up more delicious ways to make candy and chocolate. And everybody in the town, they they want to get a glimpse of this factory. They want to know the the mysteries and, and see how all this is done and know what's going on in this place. And finally, they get word that a few lucky individuals are going to get their chance. Willy Wonka sends out golden tickets so that whoever gets one of these golden tickets in one of these Wonka bars is going to be able to see the factory, go in and explore this place, and kind of see the mysteries of this Willy Wonka chocolate factory. The curtain is going to be finally pulled back. The doors are open, and the factory is going to be accessible. And through these tickets, it's going to allow people to see the mysteries of Willy Wonka and his factory. And in the book of Revelation, we've all been given a golden ticket, in a way. Heaven is opened, and what it's going to do is it's going to give us a chance, through this word, to see the, the glories and the mysteries of heaven. It isn't opened up to us, the curtain isn't pulled back to explain all secrets and mysteries to us. It's not pulled open so that it can scratch all of our end times itches. It's not opened up so that we can have a timetable for when the exact events are going to be unveiled before us. No, the the curtain is pulled back, the golden ticket is extended that we might see the glories and the mysteries of God. Revelation is opened up to us to exalt the Lamb. The curtain is pulled back, heaven is opened, in order to show the worthiness of Jesus Christ. John, he takes us up as if if he kind of loads us on his back and takes us up into this heavenly vision with him as he gets this revelation of Jesus Christ. And the scene from chapter 5 actually begins in chapter 4. So to set the scene, chapter 4, verse 2, here's what he's seeing. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. And all these things are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Day and night. What an awesome scene in the throne room of heaven. 
where you see the one seated on the throne and all this glorious description of what's happening there. And around the throne, there are those who are just shouting out to this God, holy, holy, holy. And it's from this scene that John sees where, sees what he sees in chapter 5. So this is where he is. And in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, given the content and the context of chapter 5 and following and chapter 4 and everything that comes after, and given the, the history that we know of, of scrolls, then this probably draws from several biblical images, maybe Ezekiel 2, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 12, we can kind of surmise that the scroll contains some judgment and salvation from the Lord. This is a, a divine plan of God. This scroll is a book containing God's divine plan of events of both judgment and salvation. It's a book that's going to unfold the, the redemptive plan of God into human history. And given this scene, given that he's in this throne room and everyone around here is saying of this one true living God that he is holy, this scroll is a big deal. In verse 2, it says that I saw again a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? What a good question. It's a bold move, I think, to have gone into that place and said, I'm worthy, and I'll take that scroll. It'd be a bold move in the midst of that crowd to go to that throne and open that scroll. And that's why I think that this question of worthiness, worthy being a key word through this chapter, is posed. Because not just anybody could do this. Not just anybody could walk into this place and take that scroll from the Holy One that's sitting on the throne. So who is worthy? And notice who asks this question. A strong angel. Not a sinner. One created to be in the very presence of God. This one steps up and, and says, as a strong angel, who is worthy? He asks it with a loud voice and silence follows. Verse 3. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. The question that loudly went out all over all the earth, under the earth, met with silence. So into the throne room of heaven, there's tension. Tension around this question. The divine book of God's redemptive plan sits at his right hand. The plan that has these events of judgment and salvation written on both sides, it's full of it. It's ready to be broken open and seen what's inside. It's in the throne and it's ready to be revealed before this audience that stands ready to exalt the one on the throne. It's there and it's ready, but it's sealed and no one can open it. And even a strong angel doesn't dare to step up and say, I'll do it. And he sends out his loud voice and says, who's worthy? Can anyone come and open this? Is there anyone else for the job? And no one, is else, no one else is up for the job. Now we know tensions in our lives and we know letdowns. Perhaps you've been like us and have gone through a few due dates with a baby. Sometimes I wonder, why do we even have a due date? Because you get all this built up to this time. 
man, we've, the crib is ready. We've got stuff we don't even need for this baby. It's all ready and laid out. Everything is in its place and perfect. We feel like we're ready. Everything is, we're just all this expectation about this one coming. We're ready for this to be unfolded in front of us. We're ready for this one to come. And then comes the due date, right? And we're excited like, well, maybe we've waited a long time. Maybe this will be the time because that was the due date that was given to us. Surely this will be it. And I don't know if you've done like us, but we've walked right through several of those. The expectation, everything is ready, and we just go right past it. Those were long days after that while you continue waiting. But what could match the tension of heaven? Following the letdown of what he's seen so far in chapter 4. And he goes and he sees this scroll and he's at the right hand of the throne of God. And like, yes, somebody please open this so I can see this. What a gift it is. And no one is found. What a letdown. That's why in verse 4, it says that John began to weep loudly. Weep much, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And perhaps you can identify here with, with John. Maybe you're a weeper, a crier. Here's John crying, and he's crying in heaven. The silence is broken, and it's broken not by what you think it's broken by. It's broken by wailing, much weeping. Can you think of the weight of this grief, the depth of this emotion? God's glorious plan is here, and yet it's going to be left unknown. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God sits in front of us. He saw it, John saw it in his ministry, in the ministry of Jesus. He followed Jesus around, and he saw that kingdom breaking into sinful, broken human lives, into the sinful, broken world. He saw it start to be unfolded in front of him, and now he's seeing this vision, and he's thinking, yes, it's going to come to completion, and no one is found worthy. Jesus' ministry, the, the one that he's seen break in and do so many amazing things, is it now done? What will happen with history if it is uninterrupted by this plan that God has here? Or think of John's immediate context of these seven churches that I just heard Jesus speak to and address. What's going to happen to them if God doesn't intervene and this plan from the scroll isn't unrolled? Are these saints going to persevere? Are they going to be able to endure? Or are the wicked ones, the ones who are pouring out persecution and causing all sorts of trouble for the saints, are they going to win because no one is found worthy? And so the silence of verse 3 is broken with much weeping, showing a great tension in the throne room. And with the tension and the dis disappointment probably at its apex, at its climax, one of the elders in this place speaks. And he says to John, verse 5, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. John is met in his much weeping with comfort, with relief for this tension and disappointment that he feels. The elder gives him one of the best words in all the scripture. He says, behold. It's a word that turns attention. It's a word that introduces something good for us. Behold, and he turns his attention to what can stop his much weeping if it's beheld. And it's the lion of Judah, the roots of David. 
this line of Judah. This is imagery from Genesis chapter 49, where Jacob, who is later called Israel, has all these sons, and, and before he dies, he kind of jumps into this prophetic role and speaks to his sons prophetically. And he says of his son Judah that he's like a lion's cub. So there's the, the lion of Judah, and then from Judah is going to come one, and, and the scepter is never going to depart from this one. So in other words, here's uh, Judah. He's going to be one who's going to reign and rule and have a king with, with majesty like a lion and power like a lion. And you pair this lion title with this root of David, which has its roots in, in Isaiah. There's several places we could go to in Isaiah, but Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it talks about this, this root and a shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse, who's the father of David. And in verse 10, it says the root of Jesse. Again, the, we have this imagery, and, and if you put these titles together, the, the lion of Judah and the root of David, you have a thoroughly messianic figure, one who'd been long foretold. This figure is the ideal king. He's going to reign over enemies. He's going to give his people rest and peace is what the scripture would say of him. And the elder says of this lion, this root of David, that he has conquered and can open the scroll and its seals. Now here's something that all can get on board with, right? Like, let's bring in the lion. Like, he is conquered. Let's get him in here. He's this kingly, conquering lion. He comes with majesty. He comes with power. This is why there's a lot of lion mascots in the world, right? You, like, you want something like a lion to kind of represent your team, majesty and power and ferocity. Like, bring in the lion. He's conquered, and that's what he's doing. But look in verse 6. Between the throne and the four living creatures, what does John see? says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. John was told about a lion who is conquered, but he sees a lamb that looks as if it's been slain. There are no lamb mascots that I know of. There's a few, you know, rams maybe, but not like sheep. Like that's normally kind of a derogatory term. Like you don't, like, you don't, like we're the sheep. We're the lambs. Even elementary schools, I don't think there's a, I mean, is there many a lamb? Is that their mascot? I don't think so. No lambs out there. And here he sees a lamb standing as slain. Now this lamb, we know this has significant biblical background as well, doesn't it? Lambs were slaughtered as sacrifices. You think of the book of Exodus, where God instructed his people to slaughter a lamb and to put its blood over their doorpost so that the firstborn wouldn't be killed, so that death would pass over those homes and they would be saved. A lamb was slaughtered. Or the sacrifices in the Old Testament where they were told to bring a pure and spotless lamb, a lamb that didn't have any blemishes, and you were to slaughter that for the atonement of sins. Some lamb imagery there. John even wrote himself of John the Baptist saying something about a lamb. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, this is this servant who, who bears transgressions. Upon him was chastisement. And he was like in 53.7, this lamb that was led to the slaughter and was silent before the ones who were going to kill it. And John looks up and he sees a lamb is slain. So why does John hear of a lion who is conquered and see a lamb as slain. 
how do these two even relate? It's, it's puzzling. Like, what is going on here? Until we remember where they come together. Matthew, especially in his gospel, he tells of one who's in Judah's line, a son of David. He especially makes sure that everybody who reads his gospel knows this. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, listen to what he says. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus, and who is he? The son of David. That's how he starts. Or down in verse 20, right, he, he's saying, of this is the angel speaking to Joseph. And it's interesting how he addresses him. As he considered these things, an angel came and said, Joseph, son of David. Why say David? Because Matthew is emphasizing, here's one that's from the Davidic line coming from you. Son of David, don't fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. And she's going to bear a son. You should call him his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here's a kingly one, a messianic figure. Jesus then is the son of David, the Messiah. According to Matthew's gospel, he's really clear about this. So no one will miss Here's one in the line of David, the king. And Jesus starts his ministry, and he starts his ministry, and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. He means it's at hand in me, in my life, and in my ministry. And then he goes and he does kingly things, messianic things, like wielding his authority against the enemy, casting out demons. And they obey every single word. That he tells them to do. He holds dominion over the earth. He tells storms to stop and they stop. He makes bread. He divides the loaves and the fishes. He's holding dominion over his territory. Truly, this figure named Jesus is the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. But he's also called the Lamb. John himself writes of John the Baptist who beholds Jesus and says of him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the, the lion imagery and the root of David imagery, they collide with this lamb imagery in the person of Jesus. Jesus then is this, he's king who's sacrificial. He's the lion who's conquered by being slain as a lamb. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God. He wielded authority, but he was silent before his accusers as he was led to the crucifixion where he would meet his death on a cross. He's the lion, and he's the lamb. Jesus is what the scripture was pointing to from the book of Genesis chapter 1 all the way through to when he comes, and he's the yes and amen to all the promises of God. But there's a word in this scene that is invasive, I think, that grips. See, in chapter 4, verse 2, we read of one who's seated on the throne. In verse 9, again, we read that he is, again, seated on the throne. In chapter 5, when he saw the right hand of him who was, again, seated on the throne. In chapter 4, the, those who are around him, these 24 thrones or these 24 elders, they are there, and they are also seated. And yeah, they do fall in chapter 4, but that's it. John looks up. After he's heard about a lion of Judah, and he sees a lamb as slain standing. Standing. And not just standing, standing as slain, which is astounding in the scene where you have all these things that are seated, 
and you have one who is standing. Standing as slain. This lamb is a lamb that was slaughtered. There are the evident marks on this lamb of sacrifice, of a brutal death. This lamb is clearly a lamb that went through death. That's a derogatory way to talk about one another. If they say you look like death, not a good thing, right? John looks at the lamb and says, you look like death in a way, right? He says, here's this lamb who's standing as slain. It looks like it's been through death. And John sees this, and he doesn't say it in a sad way. It's like, man, you look like death. Ugh. Here's a lamb who's standing as slain. This is one who is slain but standing. That John is told of a lion and sees the lamb standing shows us how this lion of Judah has conquered. He's conquered as the lamb who was slain. He's standing as slain tells us that this lamb faced death but overcame it, went through it, and triumphed over it. This then is a resurrected lamb. You know, when you heard we were doing Revelation 5 this morning, you're like, what in the world? What is Dylan going to tell us? Does he have an end times prediction? Nope. It's a resurrection text. There's this great question at the tomb of Jesus in the Gospels. Question that kind of turns the world upside down. When they go to the tomb and they're seeking Jesus, they want to kind of maybe prepare his body and, and give us some sack or some, um, some oils and some ointments. Some, he can, doesn't smell so bad. They didn't get a chance to do that before. And they meet these two figures, these angelic beings, and they ask them this great question, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. He was there. They're like, what? No, I saw him. I saw that this was the tomb where he was. I saw him, his body put in there. It was dead. And yet then they tell him, like, why are you seeking him here? He's not dead. Don't seek the living among the dead. Because we know, as Peter would later say, not that day, but later, in Acts chapter 2, that it was impossible for death to Hold him. Jesus is the slaughtered standing lamb. He is conquered as a lion, but he doesn't conquer like a lion, right? He, he, he doesn't conquer by, by pouncing. There's no conquering by clawing. There's no military conquest that he went on, and, and he goes on this spree to, to destroy his enemies with his brute strength. He has destroyed the enemy. He, he's been David. He's cut off the head of Goliath, the, the great enemy like David, but he did it differently. He broke the back of the enemy, but he didn't do it like a lion. He did it as a lamb. He cuts off the head of the enemy. He breaks the back of sin, not as a lion. He's a better king than David. He's a better king than all the kings of this war. He's the king who's conquered by being slain as a lamb. That he's this lamb that is slaughtered, that stands as though slain shows us that the death of Jesus is how he conquered and that he conquered death because here he was slain but he's standing he's conquered he died but he's standing he took death's best shot and he swallowed it whole and he came out the other side in victory and he's standing in Revelation chapter 1 Jesus himself says yeah I died but I'm alive forevermore He's standing, standing, and he's standing with these seven horns, seven eyes, 
Seven is is a significant number. It speaks of fullness. So horns, the imagery of horns in the scripture is not like a horn that you blow, like a a ram's horn, right? They just speak of strength. Here's the the lamb who who has this fullness of strength. He's all-powerful. He has these eyes. He can see everywhere. This fullness of seeing. He's omniscient. He, he knows all things. They, they also, you think about Second Chronicles 16.9, where the eyes of the Lord, they run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are his. Here's the one whose eyes are everywhere. So in other words, he's the sovereign one who can give that strong support to those who are his. He stands. Standing. And this is why in verse 7, we read that he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb. Each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. In chapter 4, all around the throne fall down and say worthy to the one who is seated on the throne. That would have been God. The one that they're crying holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty to. And in chapter 5, there's a lamb standing, and they all cry out. Worthy is the lamb. In other words, this lamb is deity. This lamb is God. Equivalent with the one who's seated on the throne. And there's a joyful song that's similar to chapter 4, but it's new. So if you're thinking, man, heaven's this place where we're just going to sing the same tune over and over and over again. Well, there's a lot of similarities in the tunes, but there's a different expression of it because we're seeing the greatness and the glories of the Lamb that we hadn't seen before. Here's the Lion of Judah, who's also the Lamb that was slain standing, and we couldn't help but say out in response, worthy. It's a new song even because of the expression of the way we see the lamb now. And the answer to the question of who is worthy is answered as we see the lamb standing and going up and getting the scroll from the right hand of the throne. Who is worthy? And the answer is given. The lamb is worthy. The question led to this tension and even weeping from John. And now there's joy as they sing this new song. And I think that it's worth noting who isn't worthy here for just a second. No general walks into that throne room and takes that scroll. No king. No great Olympian. No rich, powerful person on this earth. Nothing that has been done below has promoted one to have gone to that place where they could take that scroll. We could look back in history, and there's a long line of great people in history who could all be described with one word, dead. Pharaoh, dead. Nebuchadnezzar, dead. Solomon, he's on our team, right? So, dead. Napoleon, dead. You get the point. Dead. Not standing. Dead. All are leveled by death. It's no respecter of persons. You could have achieved as much as you wanted to on earth and you'll die. Dead. But one is standing. 
One overcame. One is worthy. And the basis of the worthiness of this one is given to us in verse verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll. Why? For you were slain and standing. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The the basis of the worthiness of the lamb isn't that this lamb has seven horns and is all-powerful, although that's great, or seven eyes and is all-knowing and and sovereign over all things, right? Like, that's great too. That's not the basis for the worthiness of the lamb. The lamb is worthy because it was slain. And his death wasn't just a victory for him as the lamb. The, The victory is shared. He ransomed, he bought back a people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group, ransomed, ransomed by his blood. And that they were ransomed by his blood tells us both the problem and the solution. All people from every tribe, language, and nation are sinful. And because of their sin, they deserve death. And death is coming for all. All, the scripture is really clear, are slaves to both sin and death. That is the wages of sin. What we deserve for our sin. That's the story of us all. None will be standing after death. And none deserve to be standing. But there's a path of ransom. Of being bought back from slavery to sin and death. It's through the Lamb. That is that his blood can pay the ransom, the price that we should have paid, that we all owe as sinners, because here's the one who went through death and has overcome. Here's the one who looks as if he's been slain. He bears the marks of death and yet stands. And because he is standing, he can bring other people with him. He stands where no one else could. And so the problem is that all are sold into sin and death, and the solution is to be ransomed by the lamb's blood. And the people that he ransoms are are people that have been paid for by the blood of the Lamb. That's why we sing. This is a really strange song if you don't understand this story of the gospel. the, The good news that the Lamb and his blood can ransom people, buy back from sin or death. We sing there's a fountain filled with blood, which is a horrific thing to sing. And we sing it kind of, you know, it's like a cheery song. We sing it with a glow in our eyes. There's a fountain filled with blood. I mean, come on. Like, that's horrific. We just sang a song. Like, Behold the Lamb of God, wounded and dead and bleeding. That's, that's horrific. Why did you choose such a song, right? Why did John Newton write such a thing? Because, because, as the song goes on, there's a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from a certain place. It's not any fountain of blood. It's blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein, God with us, the the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb of God. It's drawn from his veins, and guess what? Here's the good news. Sinners that are plunged beneath that flood, which again is a horrific thing, unless you know the end, if you plunge beneath that flood, you lose all your guilt and shame. It washes all your sins away. And those who plunge themselves under that fountain of blood by faith, saying, I need that blood. That's the only way that I could be washed white from my sins. Those who plunge themselves beneath that flood, they come out different. You're still you, but you're not you anymore. You know what I mean? You could say, like, well, I once was, but I now no longer am. Like Saul, he goes into the fountain as Saul of Tarsus. 
persecutor of the church, Hebrew of Hebrews. He comes out, Paul, servant of Christ. Wickedest sinner on the earth. Anybody goes into this and we come out, not first as I'm this person from a certain tribe, I'm from this nation or this family or this language, but we come out first saying I'm one of the ransomed ones because I came out of the blood. And one pastor says it this way, what does it matter what I was? I am what I am. Put your emphasis there. Do not be forever thinking about what you were. The essence of the Christian position is that you should remind yourself of what you are. Certainly there is a past with all its sins, but say this to yourself, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like me his praise should sing? If you're in Christ by faith, you're part of the people that the Lamb paid for with his blood. What could be better than that? And the qualification to be part of this ransom people is nothing other than that blood. You don't have to be from a certain place. People from all over. Certain language? Nope. People from all over. It says nothing about anything else other than that they are ransomed by that blood. The blood is the way that they come. That's the qualification. It's the blood that ransoms them from their slavery to sin and death. In other words, that blood has power, which is, opens up a whole other bunch of songs where we sing about power in the blood. Dwayne the Rock Johnson, he was preparing for a role as Hercules. I'm, I don't know the movie. I'm guessing it's Hercules, maybe. He posted his diet that he was using to kind of get in shape. Dwayne the Rock is, he's a big guy, and he's very strong, very much in shape. All right, so here's the picture. I think I have it up there of, of his diet. You, you probably can't read all that. It's pretty small. But I want you to draw your attention to the very last one. The last one is that he drinks one cup of Nemean lion blood upon rising, served fresh and warm. And that, I think, created a little bit of a stir on the internet. They're like, does Dwayne The Rock Johnson really drink blood from a lion? Uh, a Nemean lion is a mythical creature that Hercule, Hercules, I think, uh, has to kill. But apparently, it's effective for his diet. So maybe people on the internet are thinking like as they're reading this, he drinks a cup of lion blood and it needs to be fresh and warm. Is, is this his secret to get as strong and as big as him, to, to really make myself look like him and to be as strong as him? Is that his secret? Is this how I can get in on his diet? Well, Nemean blood may work for Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but a different blood is effective for these people that we read about in Revelation 5. These are people that are ransomed by powerful blood, blood that comes from a lion, but it's also the lamb. It's the lion and lamb's blood, and it effectively ransoms a people from all over. It's powerful blood. And it not only ransoms them, it makes them a kingdom and priests who shall reign. So Pharaoh, he's dead. His army, those who followed after Pharaoh, dead. No victory. You follow a king, an earthly king, that's where it's going. You follow a flag first, that's where it's going. You follow a general, that's where it's going. An elephant and its party, that's where it's going. A donkey and its party, that's where it's going. You follow any earthly figure and you want to follow them and you want to get to this place where we can share in the victory, you're not going to share in the victory in the end. There's only one who's worthy. None of those other ones go to ultimate 
victory. They're not worthy, but the lamb who was slain and is standing wins. And he shares his victory with people from all over the place who come through his blood. So that we can say, as was said about saints before, Romans chapter 8, verse 36, that we're being counted as sheep who are led to the slaughter. We could read that and say, it's going to be okay because we're following the lamb. And he went to the slaughter, and he's standing, and he shares his victory. And if our lamb was slain and is standing, we can do what Revelation tells us to do later. In chapter 14, verse 4, it says that they follow the lamb wherever he goes. We can be those kind of people that even if we're led to the slaughter, can be, it's going to be okay, because the lamb that was slain and is standing is the one we're following. And he's worthy, even if we are led to the slaughter, and he still stands. The standing lamb is heaven's answer to heaven's question of who is worthy. And this is why you get this great response from heaven. Verse 11, he looks and he hears around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, which is a way of saying like this number can't even be counted. It's just so many. And they're all saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard from every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. I want us to notice in verse 12, count these out to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing there's seven of those things there which john does not mistakenly put in there say this is the fullness of worthiness the fullness of worship coming here because it is due to the lamb this is utmost praise from more than can be numbered more than can be described and they all agree on one thing that this lamb is worthy and the response that the lamb is getting is the right response that he's worthy to take the scroll. And the response, I think, gives us why this whole scene is given to us in Revelation 5. Maybe you didn't think about this before you came in, but why was chapter 5 written? Why was it written this way? Couldn't it just be God was sitting on his throne and there's a scroll at his right hand. And the lamb came up and took the scroll. And then it got unfolded broke the seals and praised him for that it could have been the scene nothing wrong with any of that so why the question why the tension why does john weep why was chapter 5 written to show us something to show jesus as the lion of judah the root of david to show the lamb slain and standing to show jesus as the worthy one the question of worthy is, is what is dictating all that's going on in this chapter. And it's drawing the audience in. Think about this. Who is worthy to open the scroll? It doesn't just cut to the end. It draws us in. Say, think about who is the one who is worthy of this. Readers, us, we're given the golden ticket to see the glories of Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb who was slain but is standing, who's conquered death, as a slain lamb. And church, the angels point the way to respond. These myriads of myriads, thousands upon thousands, 
they are not singing for all the sweet reunions happening in heaven. Though those may be good. They are not singing because this place has no suffering. Though that may be a good gift too. They're not singing because there are mansions of glory and streets of gold. Again, may be good. No, the hosts in chapter 5, they can't get over one thing. And it's the lamb. And they're showing us the way. They're pointing the way to respond. They show us how, verse 2 and verse 12, it says this word says loud. Heaven can be loud. Loud seems to be something of a holy volume. So if you thought I've been loud, then let's just count it to me as righteousness, right? Loud. Especially in response to the lamb, they especially get loud. We should do that. Let's blow the roof off this place because the lamb is worthy. And the whole scene is set up to exalt the worthiness of Jesus, to show his triumph, his victory in suffering and death and coming out on the other side. And yet I wonder what you find worthy. Perhaps you're like John in verse 4 and you're weeping because you're looking around in your life and there's nothing in this life that is found worthy of giving yourself to. Or perhaps you, you say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or another person of this earth, thinking that one's worth giving my life to. And I think this scene confronts us with the question, who really is worthy? Who, who is worthy, even in the place of God, that we could follow even to that place and be okay in our standing? Who is ultimately worthy of our life and of our following? Who can stand even after death and bring victory? That's the one you need to follow. All of us are living for something. And so here's the question that has to be answered. What are we living for? Who is worthy? And the angels point the way. Worthy is the lamb. Do you know the lion of Judah? The root of David? The lamb who is slain? Have you been ransomed by his blood? If not, plunge yourself beneath that flood. And if you have been ransomed, let's work together to not get over that. The New Testament never gets over that this is the lamb even sings really, really loud because of it. Let's not get over that. We can help one another even in just a few minutes as we sing loud because the lamb is worthy. And yet, when we plunge ourselves beneath that flood and we come out on the other side different, it also means that we don't just want to fall down and say he's worthy on Easter Sunday. Who are we falling down and saying worthy on Monday? What are we going to say on Thursday? Let's work together to not get over the lamb. Church, one of the ways that Jesus has given his people to not get over that he is the lamb who is slain and standing is what we call the Lord's Supper. It's a meal where we remember the, the person and work of Jesus, that this is the one whose body was broken, whose blood was poured out so that those who come to him might find forgiveness of their sins and have a place before this God forever through what he's done. This is a meal where we proclaim that we are ransomed by his blood. It's all him who has done the work, and we get to receive freely. So if you're a believer, 
If you've put your trust in Christ, this meal is for you. Come and take it. This is our meal of proclamation, where we say in this meal, like John says at the end of Revelation, come Lord Jesus, because we're yours, you've ransomed us, and we want your final and full work to be done. If you're not a believer, we'd say plunge yourself beneath the flood. That means repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus. If you don't know what that looks like, find another believer, come ask us. We'd love to share you how to follow the Lamb. But if you're a believer, take in joy because of what the Lamb has done for you. Let's bow in prayer together.